Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Fun story about the other day. I was on Twitter.com, just hanging out, nice. doing what I usually do, and yeah. uh, sent out a tweet that said, I don't usually do this, but I don't know what game I want to talk about on the episode, and I have picked up three, you heard that right, dear listener, three new 2022 video games, uh, which were Kirby and the Forgotten Land, Rune Factory 5, and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And I just asked, you know, I threw out a poll. I said, hey, what, what do you want me to talk about? Kirby won by a landslide, followed by Rune Factory 5, followed by Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And here's the, I'm just going to talk about all three of them because I sure did play all three. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to have enough time. I thought I was only going to have enough time to like maybe play one of them. But I played all of them to the point that I feel like I could probably talk about them on the show. I just um, want to point out and also apologize that this is not the first time you or I have made a poll and then just completely disregarded the results. Yes. <laughs> like I, I commonly would be like, what game should I At stream? At least I didn't come here with uh, Ghostwire Tokyo or the new Fortnite update. That's true. The The delegated games have appeared, so yes. everyone's happy. You're not Everyone like, fuck wins. it, I'm talking about Need for Speed. Yeah, it's exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. We're on track. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there, there was a I did. I sure did download that Fortnite app. Do you know what they did to Fortnite, Stephen? No idea. You could tell me anything, and I'll believe you. So have fun with this. Yeah, <laughs> it got acquired uh, by MGM Studios. Um, no, they. Uh... <laughs> Everyone has to fight the roaring lion. That's cool. <laughs> Uh, they removed building from the game. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, that's pretty huge. It's just night now. There's no forts, which is it is sick. interesting. I mean, there's so much you could say about the evolution of that game, you know, for better and for worse. Like, because I feel like it kind of took off by accident almost with being this like free for all version of another game. Yeah. And then that's what was popular. And I imagine like at a certain point, the building mechanics, I feel like the the audience might have been split on like who is playing Fortnite with like the metagame building shooting strategy. Yeah. And who's playing it to like dance as Spider-Man. Like those are two very <laughs> different tracks. <laughs> It sounds like an insult. I'm more in the latter camp. If I ever yeah. play Fortnite, it's to do that. So I get it. I get yeah. why they got rid of it. I run around in my Captain America skin. I think it's very silly. I'm having a good time in that game. The, the, <laughs> thing, the thing about Fortnite that I always found very funny was, I guess this is a Fortnite segment. Here we are. The thing about Fortnite that I always thought was very funny was, I feel like there always was that meta where people were building stuff constantly. So like anytime I got into a firefight, somebody would like immediately build an entire castle. And it's like clear they've like memorized the buttons that they need to press and what specific order to build like the most optimized fortress to prevent getting killed from gunfire etc etc and i like refused to build not that i didn't know how but it was just so funny like if i shot one bullet at somebody they would immediately just construct this entire like wooden cathedral to themselves and i would always just like watch them do this run around the back and throw a grenade in the top and they die <laughs> like every time it was like it was so fun to watch people just immediately fall into this like rhythm of this is how you play Fortnite, so this is what i have to do yeah and uh, I, I, I'm very interested in playing it sans building. So it's worth mentioning. There's like a there's a no building mode that they added and then people loved it so much that they're like, oh, we're just going to keep this. So I think you can still do like a normal okay, Fortnite so the mode. options there. That's yeah, cool. the options there, which uh, I probably will play, honestly, before next week, because uh, I'm very interested in that. You saying that, like seeing people fall into that rhythm reminds me a lot of like playing fighting games online, because like, yeah. especially early on, there'll be people really trying to play a character like the way they've been told to play them. So right. like. 
perfect. Like they watched a YouTube video that was like the perfect way to play Boldo. Like I got to to floor. I eventually got to floor ten, <laughs> but I got to floor <laughs> nine as May and Guilty Gear solely because I knew when to grab someone when they like started doing those. Like it was yes. very, it was the exact equivalent of throwing a grenade in the back of the house they built. Yeah, like it was like I just I'm just gonna I'm I'm actually paying attention to what's happening right now rather than coming in with the script. rather than paying attention to the YouTube video I watched a week and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's very fun. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Not, Enough Fortnite for I'm, once. Jesus. Get out of here, Fortnite. Yeah. You had your time in the sun. You know whose time it is now? It's Kirby and his forgotten <laughs> land. Tell uh, me all about this. I'm very, so I, I haven't gotten it yet. I do want to play it eventually. So tell me all about it. Yeah, so I I've mentioned this a lot, but like I'm a very big Kirby fan. If you've listened to the Game Boy Advance episode, which I imagine most people listening to this probably listen to that one as well, like you have heard me be very effusive about Kirby. Uh, I I really love the character. I really love all these games. I'm a big fan. Um, and they released a demo for this game. Was that two weeks ago? Maybe three weeks ago? It was pretty recent. Yeah. And I played that uh on stream and then talked about it on the show, and I was pretty happy with it. Um, the the way it worked essentially was just like you bounce your way from level to level to level to level and the last level was like this big boss fight and then they showed you like a sizzle reel of like what you're gonna get with the full game and i thought that that's just what the game was gonna be i guess i didn't realize this honestly but there's like a whole overworld in this game like you're not just picking levels from a screen which is what i thought was happening because that's the way the demo is set up which like maybe silly me to think that that's how it was in the full game but like that's what the demo showed me so that's what i thought i was getting but the game feels significantly like more feature rich i would say than the demo kind of like hinted at in a way so you jump into this game kirby gets sucked into a rift is thrown into the forgotten land all the waddle d's go with him and then all of the all of the waddle d's are like scattered around the place and you need to like go find the mountain different levels and then bring them back to waddle d town which is not in the demo really at all but that is like really the crux of this game and this is why i think you specifically will like this game when you pick it up eventually yeah but the whole way it works is essentially just like doing a tarry town from breath of the wild but in kirby um and it really just incentivizes you to like go out and find all the secrets and all the levels so like Kirby games have always been can you take this power all the way from the beginning of the level all the way to the end of the level and use it in this one very specific area to unlock this secret thing or bring this power from a completely different level into this other level and then make it to X spot and you know whatever whatever and this game like really really I think considers that and how to adapt that into a 3D model specifically when there is a shop in Waddle D Town that opens like the first shop you unlock that gives you the ability to just like go in and take literally any power that you've ever unlocked uh, oh, nice. into wherever you want. It kind of reminds me of like um, a link between worlds in that way where yeah, you can yeah. just like go to the shop and like take out whatever weapon or item you wanted. Kind of a similar thing. What's cool about this game, though, is that they let you upgrade all those powers, which is, I think, where you're going to get the thing that you like about Kirby 64 and the Crystal Shards specifically. Yeah. Because essentially what you're doing is as you're making your way around these levels, you're also picking up these like little coin currencies and they have these challenge levels where you have to like see how well you can use a specific power that always ends with this like, uh, I think they're called rare stones or something, but they're these 
they're rare stones. I mean, that's what they are, is, is what it says on the tin. And you <laughs> use this currency and these rare stones to upgrade the powers. So, like, the first one that I did was uh, the the fire head, which, you know, you just, like, spit out fire. And I've upgraded it to be, like, a, a like a magma volcano lava head. So now I shoot out, like, kind of, like, big explosive magma balls where when they land, they do a little, like, splash damage. Um, and you can upgrade things multiple times, it seems like. And that happens with every power in the game. So there's, like a lot to do there's like a lot to unlock in this game and that's just on the power side simultaneously as you're unlocking and finding all these waddle dees and secret areas and stuff throughout the game you're also building up waddle dee town and finding more and more places to hang out so like i just unlocked kirby's house kirby's oh, nice. little house it's extremely cute that's it's adorable yeah uh he's a little book on a table like a little coffee table book and you open it up <laughs> and you get to look at all the past kirby games it's very nice you get oh to that's just awesome climb in bed and go to sleep no reason to do that but you can do it uh it's cute it's a good game the biggest thing that i i've been very interested in that i've seen some mixed i've seen some mixed conversation about online and i i'm very back and forth on it personally is there's co-op there's like couch co-op in this game and I love it. I think it's really fun. I was playing a bunch of it yesterday. The way it works is one one person has to play as Kirby and the other person has to play as like a Waddle D who has like a cool bandana and a big spear and essentially like like a fighting game's worth of moves to use with the spear. So you have just like a bunch of different options. And <laughs> I, I've seen some people go back and forth about how they feel about that. Specifically, like you should both be able to be Kirby, right? Because like that's... I feel like you'd want to you'd want to do that. I don't know. I don't know how many Kirby games in the past have had multiplayer where you could all be Kirby. But the way Superstar did it, which that's like my primary co-op experience with Kirby. And also I think my fate like that was my first informative co-op experience in general. Mm. Because before that, uh, I think my sister and I growing up, we played uh, Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Conquest. Ah. Uh, and in that, the two-player mode is just when one of the characters dies, it's like the other person's turn, which is like oh. classic sibling, like, give me that! You know, like, yeah, it, you was just, it was just built uh, into the game. Yeah, but with Kirby Superstar, if you hit A after getting the power, you would make a buddy out of that power. Right. And yes. basically that could either be controlled by the computer or if someone grabbed the second controller, it would just like automatically have them be that character. That's so and cool. And they didn't have direct agency over like, which power they were, but you as Kirby could like, if they were dying and they ran into any other enemy, they would become that enemy. Or you could also throw a power at them, which would turn them into a different Oh, that's power. very cool. I feel yeah. like it's like just the genius of Sakurai on full display there. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like someone can just pick up the controller and be like, and I think there was a lot of fun with like every power is tied to an enemy, but then there's like a friendly version of the enemy. So every power had its own design, mm-hmm. which like, is really cool. So to me, that's like the gold standard of Kirby co-op. But honestly, a Waddle Dee with a spear and a bandana is like probably the power I would want. So that sounds great. That's kind of the thing is like, yeah. there, I, I could understand a little bit of disappointment, uh, you know, if you're player two, right? If it's like you and your little sibling and you're playing and like the little <laughs> sibling is going to feel slighted because they don't get to be Kirby and they have to be Waddle yeah. I had a great time playing as Waddle with a spear. It was extremely f- like I probably will play the rest of this game co-op because I found that to be such a fun experience and maybe we'll just yeah. switch back and forth who's Kirby and who's Waddle But I had a great time playing as Waddle I think the co-op in this game is 
so fun. It's like I, I, I didn't expect it to be the thing that was going to propel me to finish this game, but I think it actually might be. And what's really wonderful is just like alongside making your way through the main storyline, which is great by itself because it's just very silly. All the levels are incredible. Obviously, there's a bunch of secrets tucked away everywhere. All the boss fights are like absolutely wild, uh, as yeah. we kind of talked about and hypothesized. Like they're really a lot. It's, it's <laughs> extremely fun. It's cool to know that in between like sessions of playing co-op or whatever i can like hop back into a level see if i can like find a couple waddle d's that i might have missed here and there and you know unlock a new part of waddle d town and uh you know just build it up i don't know it just seems like a, a game that i'm probably gonna play passively for the, i don't know the next like month or so until i'm done with it i'm very happy with it um honestly my feelings just like mechanically haven't changed a lot since i talked about the demo i just really think it is it's very subtle in its success in a way that they've managed to take a a traditionally 2D game that honestly is like kind of hard, I would say, to turn into a 3D game platforming kind of style Super Mario thing like this and like make it work so seamlessly that you don't even really think about it at all. And that's kind of that's kind of the magic trick that this game pulls is like there's not a single moment where you're questioning what you're supposed to be doing or how as long as you have played Kirby before you have any idea of how Kirby works. Like even if you've played Super Smash Brothers, you know how to play this game. And that by itself is really really impressive i think because there's there's a world where this went really south as i mentioned in the episode we talked about the demo like look at sonic and and the multiple multiple attempts to make sonic work in a 3d space the fact that this works so seamlessly like without even really drawing attention to itself it's like no no no, let's show you all the cool shit on display like let's show you mouthful mode like look at all this weird stuff that you can (laughs) inhale um I, I think I think is is really masterful. It's good. I think I think it's like it's a very understated, extremely successful game. And I could see it flying a little under there, even though it's a, you know, like pretty good first party Nintendo video game. Like I could still see it flying under the radar somehow, especially given how much stuff is launching right now. Yeah. And we've often said that Kirby is like at this point in time, kind of the B team. Like, yeah, it's it's never been terrible, but they are still trying to figure out like what Kirby is now. Yeah. Would you say that this game feels like kind of a proof of concept of like welcoming Kirby into 3D to kind of move to something larger or is this like just sort of like a standalone successful experiment it's hard to know but like what's your assumption I would I mean out of those two options I would say both like I I think yeah yeah I think as an experiment it's extremely successful I think if they wanted this to just be the blueprint for Kirby going forward I wouldn't be against it Um, because what's interesting about this game you know, even with the inclusion of mouthful mode is that like it's a it's a pretty standard Kirby experience. It's just in 3D, you know, like it's not so dissimilar from the uh, like Kirby's Dreamland or like Nightmare in Dreamland kind of stuff. It's like really kind of along those same lines just happens to be in 3D this time versus something more akin to like Kirby and the Amazing Mirror or uh, like Planet Robobot, which are kind of like a little bit more high concept in some of the stuff that they're trying to do. Or what, what was the what was the one from Superstar? The Great Cave Offensive? Yeah. The yeah. Metroidvania. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like like these more high concept kind of Kirby games. It's like, OK, you know and love this style of gameplay. But what if we apply that to a kind of like bigger conceit? I feel like there's no way in hell that they would make another kind of cut and dry 
Kirby game like this. Like now that they've done this one, the next one will probably be some kind of step forward mechanically. Um, so I don't know. It just it just feels like the blueprint. Like it feels like they just have the baseline down. Yeah. I, I mean, like looking back on all the different Kirby games, like even though like there's an original formula that was perfected, they're all pretty experimental, which I think is kind of why yeah. they haven't really joined the A team yet, because a lot of the experience have been like, eh, like I just yeah. recently in our, our journey through the DS library for the season five promo, I played, there's one Kirby game on the DS that's just Kirby rolling. Yeah. And you have to draw a path for them. It's like so Line like, Rider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's always like, there's a lot of really big swings in Kirby's backlog right. and not all of them work out, but I, I, I like that they're not afraid to experiment because I think too with Kirby like there's way less pressure on that IP than there is with like Mario or Zelda like they can kind of get away with releasing a Kirby game that's like okay yeah yeah <laughs> but as long as I they've agree. like learned something from that like I don't mind it being less than if, if it tried something cool and they can move forward with that idea yeah and that that's very much what this feels like is like yeah now that now that you got this game down like go do a weird swing next time it might be bad but at least it'll be fun you know that, uh, like true as a person who really likes Kirby and was very hopeful that this game was going to be like one of the good ones uh, I'm, I'm pleased to report that it is one of the good ones and the more I play the more I feel that I, I switched from the easy mode to the hard mode also and it's like not that nice. hard but uh, it is like it can be challenging occasionally and that's kind of more than I was expecting and honestly I don't really have a whole lot to say about it like if you've played a Kirby game and you can imagine at all what it would be like in 3D that's what this game is and if that sounds good to you then you should do it because it I mean it's just joyful the whole time like you're not yeah th- that's kind of the th- like I really for real th- not a joke not hyperbole for the podcast etc cetera, etc cetera. like I really am grinning from ear to ear while I'm playing this game most times like it just is fun and makes me happy that's and great. that I, I think if that's an experience you want it's worth checking out and there's a huge place for games with that especially in Nintendo's library because I think that yeah. like alongside the the other first party IPs like they're still for a general audience but I feel like they've leaned a little bit more mature in terms of what they're asking of the player yeah like breath of the wild is kind of an enigma because i think it is like a very welcoming game and it's a lot of people i I know a lot of people who got into games as an adult via breath of the wild Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's something that like you can give a really young kid and expect them to fully enjoy because there's like a lot going on and a lot that's like like the game wants you to get used to failure in a way that might be off-putting to a kid, mm. whereas this game feels like it's perfect for like the whole family. Yeah, you know, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, especially with the with the multiplayer stuff built into yeah. it. I mean, it's exactly. Great. And then yeah. also, like as you start unlocking more stuff in Waddle D Town, like the stuff you're unlocking are all mini games you get to play. So like, oh fun! That classic thing of like for some reason Kirby games always have incredible mini games built into them. Yes, is back yes. here as well. Uh, there's like the fishing thing, which has been become such a fucking meme already at this point it's great man i there's just like there's just not a thing about this game that's even like close to like i can't i I don't even really have anything to be critical about outside of like they didn't swing that hard and that's fine because this is such kind of a feat in and of itself to make kirby work in this uh in this format that like the fact that they hit the bar at all great that's all i needed i also imagine this is like truly a bomb post elven ring just like oh like a yeah soothing yeah b-a-l-m yes <laughs> yeah not, not, a, not there is a kirby minigame though where they're playing hot potato with like an actual bomb yeah, that man. always kind of haunted me yeah yeah i was very good at that minigame that was always the one if, <laughs> if i needed a bunch of one-ups like real quick that was always the one i did 
Nice. Um, cool. You definitely sold me on it. I think I'll, I, I definitely want to get to it before the year is over, like before game yeah. of the year. I'm excited to play it. Cause I'm also, I'm also a big Kirby fan. I just, I haven't really, I haven't seen Kirby in a while outside yeah. of the weird draw the line for the constantly rolling Kirby game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> should we, uh, take a quick break? Yes. Okay. And I'll see you soon. Oh, okay, cool. I'll see you. Oh, soon. wow. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye. Hello. Welcome back. <laughs> hey, how's it going? I don't, I don't know what that voice was. Um, it's, it's popped up before. It's a familiar spirit. Yeah. <laughs> there's many ghosts in the Aether. Yeah, there's a lot of ghosts. Okay, so I mentioned earlier, there's a bunch of games that came out this week. I picked up three of them. I would say there's like four major games that came out this week, Ghostwire Tokyo being the fourth one that I was like pretty iffy on. And, uh, you know, they announced it. I thought it looked great. And then the director left and I was like, uh oh. And then some of the video came out and I was kind of back on that team but then also some of the reviews dropped and it was like eh, kind of a standard open world icons all over the map thing going on and i was like i don't know if i really want that so kind of bailed on that and weirdly simultaneously one of the big releases that i was absolutely not interested at all uh was tiny tina's wonderlands which is a spinoff of borderlands which i was interested in when they had first announced it specifically just like oh okay you're not calling it borderlands and that by itself is interesting to me like that means you're trying something new and then i saw some gameplay footage just like oh you're just like running around with a gun but it's not the apocalypse and uh i don't know if that's like the big swing that i wanted you know from this like i don't know if that's like the big exciting change is like it's just it just isn't yellow everywhere you know (laughs) like yeah uh maybe there's some green sometimes oh okay that's uh but anyway (laughs) game came out i read a couple reviews and i was like you know what this actually seems like something that i want to take a chance on specifically because and i don't know how much i've talked about this um i mean look there's the randy pitchford of it all that dude's a clown he sucks that having been said, Borderlands and Borderlands 2 are two games that I like really, really loved when I was growing up. And I played them like multiplayer online with my friends so, so much. Borderlands 2, still my most played game on Steam to this day. Wow. Um, like I I really, really, really loved those games. The first one when it came out, you know, it was the whole like we have a hundred billion guns in this game. They're like randomly generated or something like the, there's just like no way you could ever see them all. Very exciting. Very cool. Just like very, very, very heavy RPG mechanics, you know, pick a class build them out the way you want all these different skill trees very cool idea borderlands 2 kind of one-ups all of that i think makes the world bigger it's more interesting there's like a lot more stuff going on in borderlands 2 that i I think kind of refined what was going on the first one but then after borderlands 2 came the pre-sequel which was you know not borderlands 3 uh to be clear it was just kind of like a spin-off i guess that was telling a little bit of the backstory of how the world of borderlands came to be and i started playing it and was like i'm so burnt out on this because i've played so much of one and two at this point that like moving this kind of gameplay to the moon is not really helping because the moon very much like an apocalyptic wasteland is still a desolate nothing space Uh, so i so i was like i'm really not getting anything new here outside of i can jump higher because it's in space and that was kind of the big falling off point for me with borderlands eventually they went and announced borderlands 3 randy pitchford continued to be a clown and i was like i don't want to support this guy and i don't know how i feel about this game in general like it doesn't really look like they're changing up enough of the formula for me to like want to get in back into this like i've had my time and the game came out and like uh, 
if iffy iffy conversations about that game you know i i feel like yeah. the people who really love borderlands were really stoked about it and i think the people who wanted it to be like an actual sequel like actually push the series forward were like there's really not a whole lot going on here it really does feel like borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel all over again just like in the new version of unreal engine and like that was yeah. kind of it so i ended up not picking it up and and I, I don't really regret that choice at all, but Wonderlands I was interested in, be, again, because like they were really trying to swerve, it seemed like, by naming it something different, clearly making it connected to Borderlands, I was like, I'm, I'm interested in this. So the conceit of this, uh, if, if you don't know anything about Borderlands, there's a character named Tiny Tina. Uh, she is like a kid who loves explosives and lives in a mountain, voiced by Ashley Birch, who also does uh, the voice of Aloy in Horizon, Oh, cool! Uh, which is fun. Great range. From Ashley Bridge. Yeah, totally. um, but anyway, the whole conceit of Wonderlands is that uh, she also in her off time plays D&D in her mountain. Like she invites like vault hunters to come into her mountain and play D&D with her. And she's the DM. And you are playing in Wonderlands as one of the vault hunters who has like shown up to play D&D with her. Uh, and the game takes place like in the D&D world. So you're playing in like a fantasy setting as she is DMing this game of D&D, uh, which means that you get to like roll a character and like pick all your stats and like really customize yourself from the ground up uh you're choosing from like a bunch of D classes and not like the classic borderlands like here are you know four different vault hunters you can choose from uh yeah. and then you know there's skill trees within there it's like no no, no you're picking from like actual D classes and then they all have their own like multiple skill trees that you can go down and i think at a certain point you also get to multi-class so you get to pick another class later in the game as well oh, that's cool and then go down that skill tree and blend all of that stuff together which is i think gonna be really interesting but you go through this entire like setup phase and then you're like this is a little bit where i was like oh i don't know if this is working for me but you're essentially playing borderlands still but it's in like a DD world it's in like a fantasy world so you're still like running around with guns you're still like opening up crates and chests and vaults constantly getting like ammo and money they still have the vending machines where you like buy and sell stuff like it's a it's very clearly kind of like a far cry blood dragon versus far cry 3 like it's I very see, clearly yeah. kind of like a reskin of what they were doing in borderlands 3 just with you know a more high concept edge to it and like truly i'm very surprised i really kind of like it a lot i think it's really a meaningful shift for this franchise in a way and and i almost want them to go a little bit like if they continue this i i would want them to push it even further because yeah. the thing i'm really clicking with in this game that makes it feel like a meaningful change for me first of all is the narrative isn't making me cringe constantly because I, I feel like the, <laughs> the borderlands sense of humor has like very that was like very 2009 to 2012 like that was like they had its moment and then by the time borderlands <laughs> came out it was like man why is that like the worst era for everything i don't know <laughs> it, was, it was like a very concentrated era of like bad comedy and just yeah yeah it just uh, anyway. talking about bacon a lot yeah i don't know um <laughs> anyway um so like <laughs> i laughed maybe it's funny <laughs> who hey maybe maybe yeah. bacon's making maybe 2009 had something yeah <laughs> so random uh <laughs> 
<laughs> I think the writing is like actually pretty fun in this game. Oh, nice. Um, I, I've been pretty surprised by it. The voice cast is great. As I already mentioned, Ashley Birch yeah. uh, plays the lead as Tiny Tina. Your party members are Andy Samberg and Wanda Sykes, who plays a robot, which is so fun. And uh, the main antagonist is Will Arnett, like doing the Will Arnett yeah. vibe. Uh, so he's yeah. like kind of like an aloof villain where he's like just kind of hanging out and he's like, well, I guess we're going to fight. You know, like that's his energy. And you you as the player get to choose from your vibe as well like you get to pick like what mm. what the personality of your character is so i have like a completely like kind of himbo energy uh, like valiant <laughs> warrior uh, nice. who just like responds to everything as earnestly as they possibly can um which i i think is really fun to offset all it's a nice like, foil yeah yes, exactly. exactly like yeah. just like like maybe the straight man to a fault in a way you know yeah so that's fun that's working for me putting this game in a setting that isn't an apocalyptic wasteland is also extremely working for me in a very big way like wandering around this fantasy setting i think is actually really fun and interesting the game is also much more uh railroaded than borderlands tends to be because Borderlands usually if you played those games in the past they're open world games with like main quests and side quests and you're like walking around this open world um, you know just like shooting stuff along the way it's a lot of like fetch quests and whatever but Wonderlands is actually just like a considered narrative story and you can go and visit other places that you've been in the past but you really are like making your way from like level to level quote unquote and like clearing out little story pieces here and there and I think that that reframing of the way the game works like saying it's actually okay if this doesn't need to be a fully open world allows them to take more chances narratively in ways that really really pay off Mm. one of of, I think the best examples is like really really early on right after you like finish all your tutorialization you meet the antagonist and stuff your move is like we have to go see the queen like we have to go like talk to the queen Uh, the queen is is this is like the most borderland shit possible but the queen is a unicorn with two horns named butt stallion uh, Mm, which is like I don't need that but anyway you're you're going (laughs) Going to uh, the Queen's Palace and on your way there, Tina decides like that this has been too nice. Like that the the adventure has been like too easy so far. So she's like, no, 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 no. Like because you, you show up and the, the palace is beautiful. There's like a big rainbow over it, you know, in this like lush fantasy world. Uh, and she's like, no, 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 this is too nice. This is too clean. This is too easy. Uh, skeletons, skeletons everywhere. It's being attacked. It's being mauled by the villain. Uh, there's catapults all over the place. There's trolls. And immediately the sky turns into like this extremely like kind of inky, dark red with lightning all over the the place and like hundreds of skeleton warriors spawn into the map and just start rushing at the wall in front of you and she's like okay go ahead go talk to the queen um that's awesome and, and that kind of stuff whenever they get to like flip a switch like that is really really fun i think it's i think it's very interesting and and i don't think that's the kind of thing that you could really do if it was a fully open world the way the other borderlands games have been yeah so, so that by itself is very cool the other thing i really think like they just changed a couple things here and there about the way the game usually works that helps a lot so in in previous borderlands games the l1 button was usually i think it's l1 was usually relegated to like your grenade and your grenade could be a bunch of things because in borderlands all of the different weapons and abilities would kind of adapt or just have like very strange elemental abilities so like oh yeah you throw this grenade and it explodes into eight grenades and they all i don't know shoot out ice or they you know there's one grenade that you throw out and then it turns into a fire hydrant that just like shoots poison all over people things like that and like they'll have like wild status effects on top of that and have like different stats here and there they've replaced grenades with spells in this game like you 
you actually get like D&D spells that also kind of have different status abilities and different effects here and there. And it's just on a constant recharge as well. So because I knew that going in, because I knew that there was like a spell element to this game, I picked the mage as my class, which... Mm. has meant i'm not there quite yet but i'm like not that far into the game i'm like maybe two and a half to three hours in and i'm kind of at the point where i'm using spells as much as i'm using my guns and and i think if i continue down this path and like depending on what my my second class that i pick up ends up being like i could see that being my future is like i don't really shoot that often anymore I'm just using spells. I'm just like throwing out status abilities here and there. I'm like turning enemies into sheep and then poisoning them and then, you know, throwing like ice stuff down like that kind of interplay between all these spells in the style of game that Borderlands is, is actually really fun and and enriching in a way that I really had hoped this game would be because I I just needed something new. I I think like the, the core underlying elements of Borderlands are not bad. It's just they kind of were played out to me. And they've made enough shifts here that makes it still compelling uh, and worth checking out. I think. Is there still a multiplayer focus or is it largely like a single yeah, player? Yeah, there's multiplayer thing? in this game as well. Nice. Yeah. Uh, which I haven't done at all, but yeah. I'm really curious. I haven't, for some reason, I completely missed Borderlands like as a whole. And yeah. by the time like we were doing this show, I think three was coming out. I'm like, I'm not going to start now. Like <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> what I understand, it has a similar loop to like Diablo. I feel like it's kind of like a first person shooter version of a Diablo, but the powers are very like almost Ratchet and Clank. Absolutely. Like, yeah. The weapons are silly and cartoony, which sounds cool. I mean, it seems like I like how they've interpreted D&D. I mean, I think having an, uh, a narrator in games can be such a mixed bag, but yeah. when it works, it could really help. Like, I, I think Bastion is like the clear example of like mm-hmm. an amazing narrator. And it sounds like here they have fun with, you know, literally a DM yeah. um, being yes, the guiding it, force of this game. Who is just kind of an unreliable narrator as well. Because exactly. Like, yeah. Very frequently things will change on a dime when you think you have an understanding of what's going on, which I think is really good. Um, there's this whole other aspect to the game that I really like too, where in, like when you're done with a level, because they really are like levels, you get uh, bumped out into what is essentially like the game board and it's like an overworld mm. and it's got kind of like an old school Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. Like you wander around this overworld and do stuff in the overworld. Um, and that's that's at least from what I've seen, that's where most of the side quests happen as well as like you'll meet a character in the overworld and have to like do some weird like light puzzle stuff or like jump into a random encounter that pops up. Um, if you if you go through like dark woods or tall grass, sometimes like uh, random en- enemies will show up and it'll literally be like a Final Fantasy. Like you get sucked into uh, like a little combat arena um, and then you just like play Borderlands and shoot. 15 guys and it's like cool you did it and then you get bumped back out to the overworld that stuff is fun i i generally am not a fan of random encounters in games but by throwing it in borderlands it makes it like irreverent in a way that yeah, is fun right um just because it's like so silly uh and and all the enemies that i'm fighting at this point are like zombies and skeletons who just like scream at the top of their lungs about how they don't want to die a second time uh <laughs> which is like it i don't know it's fun it's a fun game i'm liking it i'm liking it a lot more than i thought it it feels honestly this game and uh, Stranger Paradise are the two recent releases that I like really hope end up on Game Pass or something. Yeah, I'm waiting um, for that. I, I feel like if the, if this ever were to show up on Game Pass, that would be like great just in terms of having I, I think like a built in community to play multiplayer with, because like right now I, I I literally don't know anybody else who picked this game up. Uh, so yeah. I'm, just, I'm just playing it by myself, which to be clear is how I 
played a lot of Borderlands 2 specifically. But that having been said, I mean, the multiplayer element of Borderlands is always really fun. So I'm hoping that happens eventually. Yeah, me too. I, I'm definitely more curious about it than I was. I kind of didn't really have much interest. Yeah. But um, you've definitely sold me on elements of this. And I think it's also like what I'm hearing from you about the changes they've made to the formula kind of reinforce this idea that like, and I, I think we're getting there, but I think that for a while, especially in 2009 to 2012, there was this this idea that every new game had to be open world, that like open world was inherently yeah. the way of the future. Right. And while we're seeing a lot of really cool stuff happen in the open world genre, uh, you know, like Elden Ring. Oh, yes. The, You're right. Oh, yeah. I think I heard of it. Um, but yeah, basically <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that like not every game needs to be that. And there is a lot of power in having a linear authored experience. I think mm-hmm. the term linear became a bad word at one point. And like, yes. there's nothing wrong with having a game that is linear as long as that's serving the function of the game. Right. You know, right. it sounds like Kirby is a similar thing because I think Kirby, the, the new Kirby weirdly unconsciously was broadcasting an open world message with just the look of the world. Yeah. And like, if you have any trailer where the camera like zooms around the protagonist and they're looking at lush greenery, everyone is going to assume it's a Breath of the Wild like game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it sounds like Kirby is showing the advantage of like, we're going to use a very, very familiar formula and show that there's still power in that. Like, there's still an appetite and a place for levels and like, yeah. you know, secrets within those levels. And, and I, I love that. I think that's really cool that people are reexamining past structure and finding new ways to interpret them. I am so upset right now because before <laughs> before we started recording, you said to me, you were like, this feels like a like a classic into the Aether episode where we have like a complete hodgepodge of games with no real through line between them. But like maybe we'll figure one out along the way. And like that is absolutely the through line with all of the games <laughs> that we're talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we found it. Which is very funny because the next game I'm going to talk about very similar as well. Oh, cool. I'm excited to hear that. Man. Anyway, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is out now, I think, on PC, PlayStation and Xbox. Um, What do you have it on? I'm playing on PS5. I think it'd be fun to play this together. This could be a fun game for us to like maybe stream or just play on yeah. our own time. Yeah, um, I, would, I would love that. If, if, if you're down, I, I think that'd be really fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it some thought. I'll get back to you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right, yeah well, have your people you call my people. <laughs> Steven wants to what? Yeah. Um, hang up, hang up quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing as like a trickster. It's like a thief uh, who uses magic. <laughs> Anyway, you want to move on to the next game? Yeah, yeah, let's take a break. All right, sounds good. <laughs> okay, see ya. <laughs> okay, bye. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh, are we starting? Is Brendan Big? Oh, I don't know. We can be. <laughs> hey, welcome back. Hi. Guess what I'm talking about, Stephen? I mean, I know, but do you want me to hype you up? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> wow you got it it's rune factory 5 incredible <laughs> what a good guess that was amazing actually um, i'm so excited to hear about this because i feel like every nintendo direct especially there's like a rune factory announcement of some kind and i always <laughs> think like that looks kind of interesting and then i forget about it like yeah. I, I've, i'm not even fully confident i know what the series is steven i'm so glad you said that because i'm very much into i let it be known in the break we when we say we're taking a break we usually actually do like take a break yeah well like yeah. go pour some coffee or like use the fucking john you know or something. <laughs> and i, I 
I uh, this break I switched to shorts so I could be more lean oh, and ready nice. to talk about Rune Factory Five because uh, cool, there's yeah. a lot to talk about. Specifically, uh, I also really had no idea what this game was and what this franchise is. I've just heard that people really like it, and that's like the yeah. most I know is like the fan base is fervent for Rune Factory. Uh, and I am very interested in how you're going to feel about this when I'm done talking about it. Cause it, now that I've played more of it, I'm like, this is, this is Steven. Like this has Steven all over it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but there, there are some aspects of it that might turn you off and I'm very curious to see. Okay, okay. So let's go through the history of Rune Factory because I Please. didn't know any of this and I found it very surprising and maybe you will too. Dear listener, especially if you're a person who knows all of this already, so sorry for my ignorance about this franchise. I'm going to say some things that are going to be very obvious to a lot of people that hit me like an actual ton of bricks. Okay. Rune Factory, first of all, the first one ever, the first Rune Factory came out on the Nintendo DS. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's like a relatively modern series. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, you know, it's possible Ish. we might be talking about it at some point. Oh, wow. You know, okay. uh, yeah. came out on DS was called Rune Factory, a fantasy harvest moon. And I was like, that's interesting. I wonder what's up with that. Go back one step. Okay. Oh, they rebranded harvest moon into story of seasons. So you have Harvest Moon that gets turned into Story of Seasons and then a spinoff of Story of Seasons called Rune Factory, a fantasy Harvest Moon. So there's this like there's this vibe, I think, that a lot of people have had for a very long time about Stardew Valley. That's like, oh, they, they stopped making Harvest Moon games. So Concerned Ape just like went and made their own and called it Stardew Valley. And like it's wildly successful because people like wanted that style yeah. of game back. Not only has that style of game been around for a long time, it's just the company that made it has renamed it so many times that I think like people didn't even realize what was happening. <laughs> At least I didn't because I remember when yeah. Stardew Valley came out and I was like, oh, sick. I miss Harvest Moon. It's not a game I like really played a lot of as a kid or like was even very interested in. But like I, I'd be interested to see what a modern take on a Harvest Moon feels like. Meanwhile, Story of Seasons and, and Rune Factory have been around like literally the entire time I've been playing video games and I just like had no idea. It's so yeah. wild to me that they would just completely dunk on that brand recognition of Harvest Moon. Because, like, to this day, people are like, where's Harvest Moon? It exists. There's at least two of them on the Nintendo Switch currently. Yeah. It's just they're called Story of Seasons. And now there's also two Rune Factory games on the Nintendo Switch. So there's a lot of Harvest Moon available at the moment. It's been hiding. I had no idea that that was the case. I, I had no idea that it was connected in that. I, I kind of knew that it was like a life sim of some kind. Mm-hmm. But... The the ads you get in Nintendo Direct are just like flashes of characters and then a wedding. So I'm like, I don't know what this means. Like this could be anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay, so it's it's literally Fantasy Harvest Moon, which weirdly connects to Tiny Tina's Wonderland. It's the fantasy reskin of a beloved series. Not only that, Stephen, but it connects to Kirby and the Forgotten Land because this oh, wow. is a big jump for the Rune Factory franchise in that it is the first one that is fully in 3D. Oh, okay, wow. Because it used to be kind of like a top-down Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley kind of thing uh, where it was all, you know, like pixel graphics or hand-drawn stuff for the characters. And now it is in a full... 3D setting, um, kind of like where Story of Seasons is at at this point, also on the Switch. Yeah, right. Um, kind of in that, kind of in that vein. Or I guess sort of like Fire Emblem too, because Three Houses was yes. the first time you could like navigate freely in an open environment. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that is that is what is going on here with Rune Factory Five as well. So I, this is a game that I literally bought because I didn't know anything about it, but I just know that people really love this franchise. Um, and in doing research, blew my mind on all that stuff. 
but very much like a it's possible that I might dislike this game to the point that I don't talk about it on the show. And like, this is just like mm. sunk money, you know? And I mean, I'm talking about it. So there's obviously something I like about it. Yeah. I will say before I even talk about what this game is, how I'm feeling about it. It did take me like three or four sessions of sitting down to play this game before I even like fully grasped what I was playing and why people like it in the first place. Not, to, <laughs> not even to mention like how I felt about it, but like, what is this fully? Cause the game really, really, really takes its time. So I think if you don't know what rune factory is before you get into it, it's, it might be a little bit like, what, what am I getting myself into? Cause it just feels like <laughs> hours and hours and hours of tutorials on like the most menial stuff. And I think you said it perfectly in that it is a life sim with, you know, the this lineage of Harvest Moon. So there's like a farming element, obviously. But then the first subtitle for Rune Factory 1, a fantasy Harvest Moon, kind of implies like a fantasy setting. That's also true. What else would you throw into a fantasy setting? That's right. Dungeon crawling, combat, mm. all that kind of stuff. So essentially what you have here is a game that is trying to be like five or six different video games. I think like the, the one sentence review I could give to Rune Factory 5 is like, it's pretty good at all of them. It's not mm. it's not very good at all of them. It's not great at all of them. I wouldn't even say it's it's very good at any of them, but it's pretty good at everything it's trying to do. And I think just by kind of like what I was saying with Kirby, like I just needed it to be like a Kirby experience and I didn't need to think about it. That's kind of how I feel about Rune Factory 5 where like anytime I go to do anything, I know I'm going to have like at least an interesting time, if not a fun time. <laughs> and uh, I think I think that that is really the series strength. And I, and I know that that's a little bit reductive considering I've only played Rune Factory 5 for like yeah, I'm a wondering, couple is hours. There like a, is there an entry in this series that people are like, that's the one to play? Very divisive, as with most mm, franchises right. like this. But from what I've gathered, 4 was the one. 4 mm. launched on 3DS and then they remade it for the Switch, uh, which is available for the Switch and I think is like 30 bucks. So like it's pretty... Okay, cool. Cool. I before I picked up Wonderlands, I was like, do I pick up Rune Factory four as a comparison point so I could see what's mm. going on here? But a lot of people look at four and they're like, this is kind of the peak of the series. I've spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time like in the Rune Factory subreddit, in different forums, looking on Twitter and on Tumblr and like seeing what people are saying, like people who are Rune Factory fans, seeing what they're thinking about Rune Factory five. As with all fandoms that get like way too into their own thing there's kind of this like backlash at all of the negative reviews uh that that showed up on publications which like always happen i feel like there's two ways a fandom can go one of them is like no anything bad that anybody says is incorrect or we hate this thing more than even the people who don't like it you know like if you go like <laughs> the apple subreddit like claim it in some way yes yeah, it's exactly yeah. go go to the sub go to uh, reddit.com slash r slash apple and you will see just a list of the best apple dunks like ever like those people hate apple so much <laughs> it's wild that they've looped back around in that way um and i i would say the rune factory 5 community is like i don't think this game is as rough as people say it is 
but also it's not great. And that was like the, the beginning kind of like germination of thoughts in that community, which is now bubbling up into like, oh, actually, this game might be really good. Like this might be like a really great game. And it's kind of a little bit too early to tell. It's interesting because this game came out in Japan a long time ago. Um, mm. But I, I think for the American release and the European release, like I, I think people are starting to get their hands on it and starting to like pick at the edges and be like, oh, wait, this is actually very interesting. Kind of because of what I was saying about Kirby in that it brings in every single mechanic that people liked about four. It's just it's available in a 3D setting now. And the biggest knock that you could have against this game is its performance on the Switch is like iffy at best. Like it's not mm. totally great. I, as I mentioned last week when I brought up potentially picking this game up i've read a lot of reviews that were talking about the performance issues and i am not a person who really cares about performance as much as most i think generally speaking yeah i think we're on the same page with that like, unless it's like very noticeable i usually am not like 30 frames just tisk. yeah you know? here here's the thing about this game is it is noticeable in moments when you when you go from indoors to outdoors the game lags so bad sometimes when you're like out in the open world and in combat with a bunch of enemies on screen it's like slideshow adjacent doesn't really matter to me because <laughs> again it's like yeah. the whole game is like pretty good so i don't really care and I think my favorite thing about this game, just generally speaking, is the fact that I really do feel like I can do whatever I want at any point. So like every once in a while, I will have the urge to like go do some combat at some point and I go out and like I put up with the performance for like a little bit and then I bail and it's like, fine, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Or I'll spend a whole bunch of time farming and it's like rock solid the whole time I'm farming because like obviously it is because it's farming. So all that having been said, what is Rune Factory 5? You uh, <laughs> believe it or not, you wake up in the middle of the woods and you don't have any of your memories and mm. you're the chosen one and everyone in the town might fall in love with you. <laughs> Here we uh, are. So <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing is like you just get brought into this uh, organization called Seed uh, whose whole vibe is wow, like, OK, yeah, whose whole vibe. I, I said that because literally the, the organization you're in Final Fantasy VIII is also called Seed. Oh, really? Like just straight. Yeah. D different meanings, probably. But maybe. Who knows? Caught me off guard. The whole the whole vibe essentially is uh, you're like returning. I don't even know. You're like returning the earth back to like its most beautiful form through farming nice. and through uh, returning monsters to their own realm. So that is like this whole element of this where there are monsters invading through these like gates that are kind of like rifts in time and space, I guess. Uh, and you have to take out the monsters. And when you do that, they get sent back to the realm and then close the gates, uh, which is like, to be clear, it's very easy. The gates aren't like big or hard to find. They're just like little kind of whirlpools that are floating in the sky. And you just like hit them with your sword a couple times and they go away. But most of the game essentially is oscillating between farming, going out into the world and uh, either defeating or taming and capturing monsters. Or like just hanging out in the town and talking to people and like building up your relationship meter with everybody and then deciding who you want to date and marry and have kids with. Uh, and like <laughs> those are the three elements of the game. Um, and within all of those elements are like billions of different mechanics. I mean, there are stats for everything in this game. There is a walking stat that like I get constantly. It's like you leveled up walking and my guy is like, yeah, <laughs> uh, if you sleep enough, you level up your sleep stat. Like things like wow. they're it's really in depth, like literally anything you could do at any point in the game, you will get level up stat bonuses for, which is very silly. I love that. But I <laughs> at the point that I'm at in the game, 
they have finally just kind of like taken the reins off. Like a lot of it early on was like, okay, here's the loop of the game, which first of all, I do appreciate because most games like this that I've played do not give you a tutorialization in a way that kind of tells me how to enjoy the game. I feel like you and I talk a lot about Animal Crossing New Horizons having that first month, like two weeks to a month of just like a perfect tutorial. That's like by the time you're done with all of that and KK Slider comes to your town and plays the show, you know how to enjoy Animal Animal Crossing. And that by itself is, I think, impressive because it's so open and because so much of it is about making your own fun. They've just like kind of dusted you with all of the different things you can do. And you'll definitely enjoy at least one of them. And then when they take the reins off and the credits roll and then you're like thrust into the rest of New New Horizons, you can just like go do that thing that you like doing. I find that Rune Factory 5 is doing a very similar thing where you will spend a lot of hours sitting through tutorials and conversations and menus and uh like doing things here and there that don't seem like they connect really at all but by the time you're done with all of it and your save files next mission says like do whatever like literally it's just like do whatever (laughs) by that point you will have like an idea of the things you enjoy for me at the moment the things that i enjoy there's like a bulletin board where people just like throw up things that they like need help with on a daily basis very much like stardew valley in that way yeah i really like doing that stuff because it allows me to kind of like get the lay of the land in town like okay i'm gonna run across town and like go to go to this general store buy this thing bring it to this person talk to them for a little bit uh and level up my relationship meter with them i'm gonna like go down to the river and i'm gonna go fishing i'm gonna like ask this person to go fishing with me because like at any point while you're in conversation with somebody you can like stop them in the middle of what they're saying and be like hey do you want to like hang out though <laughs> Like, do you want to just, like, go chill somewhere? Like, we could go fishing. We could, like, go do this thing. Um, Uh You can also cut them off and scream I love you at them, which, like, obviously... is a nightmare oh you shouldn't have told me that that's all i'm gonna do i know it's very funny i mean i (laughs) that is so that is nightmarish to have that option it's incredible and that's kind of the thing about this game is like at first i was like i don't know if this is gonna click for me because you and i have talked about this a little bit on the show and off the show but like i like stardew valley i played like 10 to 15 hours of it i don't love stardew valley like i yeah and and even when uh doing the game boy advance episode i played both of the harvest moon games that were on game boy advance and like i thought they were fine like I thought it was like impressive that they were able to do so much on the Game Boy Advance and like that was kind of my enjoyment of that game it wasn't even like oh I I engaged with the systems and I liked farming and it's like oh wow this is a big game for this system like that was my thought so I kind of expected Rune Factory to have a similar thing for me I really expected to walk away from this experience being like I get why people like this now and that's actually all I really wanted to get out of it but what I have found honestly is that it really is sucking me in the more I play like it is an extreme extremely extremely relaxing game and watching all the numbers go up is very nice don't get me wrong but i think just like the overall energy of the game is really really enticing and it's a thing that i do want to like put myself in whenever i get the chance like it is nice to log on do like two or three days because just like in stardew valley you kind of have this meter that's like here's how much stuff you can do on a daily basis it's not like stardew valley where you're just gonna fucking pass out (laughs) which sucks i I, I really hate that um (laughs) But you have this meter that like goes down throughout the day. 
I was just thinking about like you said how Animal Crossing New Horizons has like this wonderful kind of almost subtle tutorial. Like you don't feel like it's a tutorial, even though it's kind of it kind of is. Stardew Valley, (laughs) you you just show up. The farm is in is a wreck. It's in disrepair. You can't break most of the stuff, even if you have the knowledge (laughs) of like, I know what tools do what. Like most of it's not going to work yet. Right. And also you have no energy. You know, no one. You're going to pass out. And then your grandfather's ghosts will judge you. Morally. <laughs> it's like the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, but the thing I love, like I, I really love Stardew Valley. I think when we did, that was one of our first bonuses. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you, you like it enough that we could do the episode yeah. in, in like good faith. Totally. But it's it definitely landed stronger for me. And the thing I love about it is kind of what you're saying about Rune Factory is like I can do whatever part of the game brings me the most joy, even though there's the ticking clock. Like there really is no rush. Like yeah, I think the game communicates a rush where there actually isn't which is kind of a point of tension I think I completely agree yes so you know once you kind of realize like oh even this like looming judgment of my grandfather's spirit is happening it's not like it's gonna really be like a game over situation unless I like sell the farm to Jojo Mart immediately which like the game (laughs) tells you is like this is a bad thing yeah (laughs) but I think like that game I would say like is at least good at all the mechanics I think the farming is a lot of fun there's actually like a sprinkle of fantasy in Stardew Valley with like the weird spirits and the wizard the mice that sell hats and there's like the whole (laughs) one of one of the things you could go down is going through that like never-ending cave and fighting monsters there the only thing i would say the only part of sort of valley that i think is like less than is the fishing i can never get into the fishing in that game it's like the one fishing mini game that is somehow bad i don't know why yeah it's tough that might uh, be a hot take but i just didn't i never got into it the fishing in rune factory 5 is literally the fishing mini game from animal crossing which i was <laughs> so happy nice. to find yeah yeah I, I, honestly i i am really growing on this game in a way i wasn't expecting i think I think just like the the village that you're in is big enough and kind of sprawling enough that it does feel like there is a sense of place there. Like when I'm when I'm wandering around, because just like in Stardew Valley, all of the characters who live in the town like have their own routines that they're doing on different days of the week and in different times of the year and things like that. So like you'll see them wandering around and you can just like bump into them and have conversations and stuff. And all the story beats, like because there is a main quest to this game as well, because like it is, you know, like a fantasy RPG on top of everything else. The main quest will introduce you to new characters who will move into the village and like do new things and all that stuff is like great i mean all that stuff is like really fun i think honestly this is very much a like your mileage may vary thing but i I think the most off-putting elements of it are kind of like i I use this lovingly and i and and i I want it to be very clear that like i'm a fan of the genre but like there's a lot of like real anime fan servicey bullshit in this game that kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes um it doesn't get to the levels of xenoblade chronicles 2 which is a game i like actually return to gamestop because I was like, I, I actually don't feel yeah. good playing this. Um, it doesn't hit that level, but it gets like uncomfortably close to that line occasionally. Mm, um, and that, I think, is the biggest drawback for me as a person who like doesn't play games like this very often. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as like a dating sim, as a farming game, as a fantasy RPG, as like a dungeon crawling adventure game, um, it's like surprisingly adept at all of it. And and like the biggest drawbacks you could really give it are like the performance is like not great. I would say the graphics aren't like really anything to drive home about. Also, there's like it's like pretty muddy. A lot of the textures like don't really look like there's a cohesive art style. Like all of the character models are like absolutely incredibly rendered. And then everything else is like green means grass. 
brown means dirt, you know, and like that's kind of it. Um, yeah, which like I don't I want to be too harsh, but like it's very it's very clear what they put time and energy into rendering and what they didn't. Sure. Um, for example, there's one street in the center of town that has these beautiful cherry blossom trees. At least I'm, I'm playing in spring currently, so I imagine that'll change over time. But like that street is so fucking pretty. And the rest of the village is like fine. Uh, it's yeah. really sh- like the way the sun shines through the trees and stuff. It's uh, shocking the the discrepancy between that street and like you make a left off of it. It's like Arceus with like the, yeah. the difference between the Pokemon animations and just like the ocean. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, outside of all that, like I, I really am clicking with what this franchise is doing and having read and watched reviews of Rune Factory 4 and seeing what people liked about that game originally and also in the Switch remake. I feel like a lot of what people like about the game is here. It just is in 3D. So it kind of is almost exactly like Kirby and the Forgotten Land in that way, where it's like all you needed to do is hit that bar. Like you just needed to bring everything just is like a, the strongest underline possible on the word just there. <laughs> But all you needed to do is like just bring everything that people like from Rune Factory 4 over to this game in a new dimension, like literally a new dimension. Like once you push that into 3D, like if you can find ways for all of those mechanics to work in a 3D space, then you will have done exactly what the fan base wanted because it feels a little bit Dragon Questy in that way where it's like they haven't really changed anything. It's just like the locale is different and it's in 3D now. And that by itself was like enough, I think. So I think over time, fans of these of this franchise will probably grow on it more, even with the performance issues, which I per- I see some people every once in a while saying like, oh, I hope this gets patched. Like there's no way that that is getting patched. <laughs> this game has been out in Japan for like six to eight months and people in Japan have been complaining about the performance issues like very vocally throughout that entire period. You would think that if it was going to get patched, it would have been for the worldwide release and it didn't yeah. happen. So I, ju- I just don't think it's happening. And again, I have a pretty high tolerance for it, but I don't think it's like in any way ruining my enjoyment of it. There's never a moment where like the performance dips and I'm like, oh, no, this is this is making it worse for me. Like, that's not really the case at all. That's good um, to hear. Honestly, there's like so much to talk about with this game. I don't even really know. I don't even know what I would dip into next. Like, I, I think just this as like an overview, like, hi, I'm a couple hours in and this is how I feel about it is interesting enough, maybe. And like, no, I, it's, could, I mean, it's helped me a understand what this, what series this fucking is, game is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, something you said to me off the show that I think is maybe a good point to bring up is you said that the thing I like most about it is that it's low stakes. And I think that that's so rare to find, especially in this genre of fantasy RPGs. I mean, you're still the chosen one. There's still rifts to close. But I think there's a huge appetite for games that just simply allow you to exist in a world like this. Yeah. I think that like there are games like Breath of the Wild where like you can choose to progress the main plot, but you can also just choose to exist in it. Like Mm -hmm. there's no pressure to not just like hang out at the at the weird ranch and get horses. Like I did that for the bulk of my playthrough. Right. And then, you know, stuff like Animal Crossing where you truly can just exist and customize. And I think that like, I would love to see, even though there, there's this, you know, plethora of both story seasons and Rune Factory, I would like to see more fantasy games, like to sort of allow you to be someone in the world and not like even the chosen one. Yeah. That's something that we actually really liked about, it was a Game Boy Advance game, Summon Night. Oh yeah, Summon Night, yeah. Uh, Summon Night was great because you're just like a kid who wants to be a blacksmith and like that's the <laughs> whole deal. Like yeah. you are, like you're given a weird Pokemon after a Myers-Briggs test and like 
I didn't really like the mechanics of that game as much as I liked just the world and that low stakes yeah. vibe of it. Like I, I like being someone in the world. That's also, I think, what I love about FF14, where, you know, eventually you are one of many chosen ones. But that game really takes its time with allowing you to exist in and fall in love with that setting. Right. And I think there's a lot of power in that, like not telling me why something is important, but just putting in the pieces and allowing me to exist in the way that I want to within mm. it. Right, that to right, me right. is what's exciting about open world not like the fact that it's big or that it has icons like I like <laughs> truly living in it in some capacity I yeah. think even Elden Ring despite its hostility has that element to it yeah yeah I, I I totally agree I that that honestly I mean so low on the list of like major huge issues that I have with the new uh, Harry Potter game but like that actually <laughs> from from the reveal of that game was the most disappointing element of it to me was like oh so instead of making the like just hang out at Hogwarts kind of game that everybody really wanted what you instead did was like have this big fucking end of the world plot that I'm going to have to play through, which to be clear, I'm not going to play through it because I'm not going to yeah. get that game. But uh, I mean, that's like, that's the kind of game that I always want to be playing is like, you've invented this entire virtual space and I just want to exist within it. And like, I, I know that's very silly to say because like, obviously there should be like big AAA fucking story narrative driven games with like big, exciting plots, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like you need stuff like Rune Factory or Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley to balance that out sometimes. Um, and, and I think it would be exciting to see more resources given to stuff like that. Um, yeah. Like Rune Factory 5, for example, like clearly is not the highest budget game right. of all time. But like, what if it was, you know, like what if? it's one of those things where like it, it's the genre is a niche following, but there's like a huge mainstream appetite for it. And the yeah. games that as proven by Animal Crossing, right? Animal Crossing and Persona as well. I mean, I think Persona does have the high stakes stuff going on but i think the one of the many reasons that series is so popular is that the game allows for those moments between characters to exist like yeah. exploring tokyo with your friends and getting that kind of slice of life on top of the main story right uh really yeah. helps and that's something that you can really you can do that in very few mediums like if, if it was a movie no one would want just a scene where like nothing's happening but like yeah in a game like gamifying sort of negative space narratively in that way is really fascinating yeah absolutely i think my plan for Rune factory i'm definitely curious i'm not completely sold yet i think i already have access to some of the ds entries so my plan is like play those in anticipation of the season premiere and then see how I'm feeling and maybe go from there. That's yeah. kind of my, my plan with Rune Factory. I think, I think my, so I'm going to probably keep playing five cause I'm curious nice. about where the story is going, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But I, I, first of all, I'm going to be playing the DS ones for the episode. Yeah. But I am very curious about four on switch and I want to see how, how people feel about that. And I, and I want to experience that for myself specifically considering that's what a lot of people consider to be like the high point of the, of the series. And that's the one that everybody is comparing this one against specifically is like, Oh, it's a high bar to clear to like be even as close to as good as rune factory four. I want to experience that and see how I feel about it by comparison, because it, there's a world in which I pick up four and I'm like, Oh man, five is awful. Uh, but <laughs> at the moment I'm liking it. Uh, yeah. I, it's, it's really grown on me. It reminds me, this is maybe the highest praise I can give it. It reminds me a lot of the feeling I get when I play fantasy life on the 3ds, oh, which right. is like one of my favorite 3ds games in that, uh, I, I immediately want to fall asleep every time I sit down to play it in the best way. I want to be clear. This is a compliment. <laughs> the game's vibe is just like so relaxing and feels like so nice and cheery to be in that I immediately am like, I could just curl up and pass right the hell out. 
Yeah, it's nice to have a game like that, a place to revisit and to not need, like, you know, there's a time and place for everything. But again, especially after we both finish Elden Ring, like, I feel like I really need to not be judged or evaluated or murdered. I just need to exist, which is a nice feeling. But if you do want that, you can go uh, dungeon crawling, you know, (laughs) you go catch some monsters, get some items. There are like full on boss fights in this game, to be clear. Oh, that's cool. That like do have uh, honestly very similar to Kirby as well. But like, do you have like enemies with full health bars and like moves that you need to learn and figure out how to dodge, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which is kind of surprising, but fun. That's fun. I've always wanted these types of games like uh, life sim games or like sort of narratively driven games where combat is either not present or not a focus to interpret boss fights, not through combat. Like I would love to see a boss fight that is like a heated conversation where mm. you have to utilize something or something like that. I feel like it could be easily, like, uh, not easily, but I feel like there's a way to if the focus of the game is already the sort of like downtime in the town why not have moments where that's like actually the focus as well or or the gameplay focus yeah i don't know it just it's it's something that i've always kind of wanted to see but i'm sure it is harder to actually do than i'm just like sitting here like oh would it be cool if you did this yeah yeah just with a heavy underline under it yeah (laughs) Yeah, this all takes like months of work and uh, you know even the idea is something you have to hash out yeah uh but for those of you out there aspiring game developers you should run with steven's idea just do it just do it uh, hey, do you want to take another quick break and then talk about one more game or do you want to just go right to it? Do you want to just do it? Oh, oh shit. It sounds like you want to get right into it. Kind of want to get right into it. Okay, I have a it. game for once. First of all, I want to thank you because I think the last couple of weeks I have really only been playing Elden Ring in anticipation <laughs> of our bonus. I've really wanted to finish it and I finished it finally like shortly after last week's episode came out. Like I think that day or the day after I finally finished it. Mm. Um, and I haven't had as much time as usual to play games at my normal pace for the show. So I've been like a little bit behind schedule. Not that we have to like force it, but you know, you, you and I have a pretty good rhythm. Like we usually have like one or two things that just sort of happen naturally. Totally. So one of my things that I really wanted to do post Elden Ring was get back on track with going through the DS library. So I have a DS game to bring to the show, very uh, which I'm very excited about. And it's somewhat related to stuff we've been talking about. Uh, it is Final Fantasy Tactics A2 Grimoire of the Rift. Maybe is there a Final Fantasy Tactics A? A- advance, I think is what they're going oh, for. Oh, so this, this is advanced too. This is advanced too, yeah. Oh. Exactly. That's so this is that's exciting. It, it is exciting, yeah. And my voice cracked even. Um, <laughs> it is exciting. It's cool. Um, <laughs> Final Fantasy Tactics Advance was a Game Boy Advance game that I think we definitely did an episode on. Um, I don't think it made either of our lists, but it was like super close. And to be clear, when we did that episode, we played hundreds of Game Boy Advance games. So like <laughs> coming up in conversation meant that we really loved it. It was so hard to make a list of 10. Like yeah. It sounds like a lot, but when you get to it, it's it's so hard. Yeah. Li- it's almost silly to limit it to 10. I really loved Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Mine was number 15. Sorry, I was just bringing up the list. Yeah, so the, in, it's definitely in the realm of Out of like 90 games, it was number yeah. 15. <laughs> Which is pretty high up. And you're also not like a huge tactics person either. Right. So my I feel like I have a weirdly hot take on Final Fantasy Tactics as a whole, which I'm definitely open to changing, so don't get mad at me. But I played, (laughs) I remember I I rented Final Fantasy Tactics One for the PlayStation One or Mm -hmm. PSX, if you want to be cool. I do actually. Yeah, I want to be cool for once. PSX. (laughs) Um, I rented that game as a child. I think that was like my first 
other Final Fantasy game other than FF7. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know the deal of like that each game was its own thing. So going from FF7 to Final Fantasy Tactics 1, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, Why can't I move anyone? I can only throw rocks. Everything's sad. Like, I hate this. <laughs> but that game is, that was a huge cult hit. There's an entire following for Final Fantasy Tactics. I yeah. think that has manifested in square making triangle strategy like there's a direct line there right and triangle strategy borrows heavily like i think it's it's definitely an amalgamation of a lot of tactics games but it's 80 percent final fantasy tactics i recently like within the last couple years got a copy of final fantasy tactics it's hard to find yes the ps1 disc is expensive it's hard to find um, but i got it and i played on my ps2 and i had the, the worst time with it i could not get into it mm. i the, the first battle is largely a tutorial and you only have control of one character. So you're just watching a very long tactics battle for like a half hour. Oof. And you also can't save until like another two hours after that. So like this is like a lot of lack of quality of life stuff going on. And I, and I trust that that game has a great story. Um, I believe that's the introduction of the setting of Ivalice, which is the setting for FF12. Tactics Advance, Advance 2, Grimoire of the Rift, and Vagrant Story. So, mm-hmm. like, Ivalice is kind of this pocket dimension of Final Fantasy. I, I like when they do that. I like when they find something that kind of works and they, like, have a whole spinoff series to, like, devote to that. Yeah. I would also argue FF14, while not tech, Technically, Ivalice feels a hell of a lot like Ivalice. Like, there is strong Ivalice DNA in FF14. Um, And I would describe Ivalice as, like, if Final Fantasy as an entity was pumped to have a D&D game with you. Like, it feels like the most D&D-ified version of Final Fantasy. Mm. uh, Where everyone's like, hello, welcome to the tavern, I'm a rogue. It's, like, very (laughs) pumped to be fantasy in a way that the other games aren't. So anyway, I really struggled to get into FF Tactics 1. I I know of the PSP remake, essentially, Mm. uh, called Final Fantasy Tactics The War of the Lions. Yes. Which actually came out not too long after Grimoire of the Rift. They came out like kind of back to back. Oh, interesting. Which is why I think if you look at the like 2008 reviews of Final Fantasy Tactics A2, they're like kind of eh, because like it came out five years after Tactics Advance and around the same time as the PSP remake of one. Yeah. So I feel like it kind of got a little bit like I'll talk about A2 more in a second, but it really is like a continuation of what Advance was doing. Cool. Exactly. Um, But I (laughs) I get like when that happened, like in that exact year, waiting for a sequel to that, plus this like definitive version of the game that like started it all. I I imagine it felt a little bit less than at the time. Yeah. I I wonder how successful that PSP version was because like the PSP was like mildly successful you know the PSP was like kind of in that in-between space where like I definitely knew a lot of people who had one but like was the PSP actually a success and how many of those people were playing Final Fantasy Tactics on it I don't know it seems like of the people who were that is like the the way to play it yeah because they also localized it better so like the first game's translation was like kind of off so Mm. I haven't experienced it, but I've read that the localization for the PSP version also like tells that story in a clearer way in the English translation. Yeah. So one day I'll get to that. I prom. I've actually had people tell me like, please play that game again because it's like it's beloved for a reason, and I trust that. But I can't deny that playing it on my like barely working PS2 was a nightmare. I did not have a good time. <laughs> and when I gave FF Tactics Advance a shot for the Game Boy Advance episode, I immediately fell in love. It was like everything I wanted tactics to 
to be. And it's very different. FF tactics like triangle strategy is going for a very grim, like war is the cost of man's sin type story. Yeah. Uh, Advance is literally, it begins with a kid being like, I like Final Fantasy a lot. And then they all like fall into it. They get book. sucked into it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like the, the never ending story. Or, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And the tone is is fun. I could see someone preferring, you know, a more grounded, darker story. That's kind of apples and oranges. I think they both have a place. But I think like the presentation of Tactics Advance was so beautiful. Like it's one of the best looking games in that system. The yeah. the environment design, the character design, the you know art of the characters' portraits, like next to their stats and dialogue, and also their sprites. Like that is a ageless gold standard design of Tactics games. I loved it, and the music is great. I think it's the same composer as FF12, so it has that like sweeping. I'm in a bustling port town vibe, which <laughs> I love. Yeah, uh, and you right. have a, a Moogle named Montblanc. Who helps you out? Like, what else do you want? (laughs) So I love Tactics Advance. The only thing I kind of didn't like about it was battles took forever. It had a similar problem that I had with uh, Mario Golf Advance Tour, where, like, if I wanted to play a level, that was, like, an 80-minute ask. Yeah. And also, the the UI was kind of off. Like, it was hard to, like, fully understand what I was doing in the menus. And, like, I, I never really had full confidence. I think in a tactics game, especially, when half the game is, like, the planning phase, to have UI be that hard to read did create some issues. Yeah. All that to say, I think that if you're, if you're looking to, like, start your FF Tactics Adventure. Tactics Advance is like a great place to start, I would mm. say. Other than Triangle Strategy, which, you know, I think has the most edges sanded off, but it's a more potentially alienating story given how much of the story there is. Yeah. And also how dark it gets. Right. So that brings us to Advance 2, which doesn't waste your time at all. It begins similar to Tactics Advance. There's a kid like in our world who's like, I'm pumped for summer. Uh, and then immediately <laughs> falls into a book. Like, that's it. He's like, I'm so pumped for summer. <laughs> And then he, then so the teacher's like, you got to go to the library, you idiot. And, and he falls into a book like immediately. It's so good. Like, I love that I, so much. It's so funny because Tactics Advance, even though it has that similar beginning, like the tutorial battle of that game is a snowball fight between school children. Yes. And there's like three main characters and there's a kid who like gets bullied a lot. And like, you get a very strong sense of what their life here is like. And I think it's actually interesting to have like a story examine like, okay, here's here are these characters in their real lives. Who do they become? Mm-hmm. And is there a change in character when they're literally given a fantasy world to escape to? Yes. I, th- I thought that was interesting. It's a, it's a nice middle ground between like totally we don't even care what's happening of A2 and the like very grim, dark tactics like advances mm-hmm. a night. Okay, there's enough meat there that there is like a somewhat heavy story happening in the midst of a colorful world. A2 again i'm only like a couple hours in but a2 is just like oh i pumped for summer whoops and I love that so much you fall right into a battle like you're mid battle you fall down and there's a group of adventurers who are like do you want to join our clan like immediately they're like you fell from the sky do you want to join our group like there's like a big chicken monster right next to you so you can either like get killed by that or join our clan <laughs> And the guy's like, yeah, I'll join, whatever. And this then, is not so dissimilar from Fire Emblem Awakening also in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Much faster. Minus the being pumped for summer and falling into a book. Yeah. But in terms of waking up and immediately being like, yes. you're a shepherd now. Yeah, you, you meet a guy named Sid uh, who is like, join our clan, we'll help you out. And you fight in this battle and it's fun. It, you know, it, it, it teaches you the mechanics very quickly. Battle is short and sweet. 
And the presentation is wonderful. Uh, yeah, I was about to ask, how does it feel on the DS versus the Game Boy Advance? Because I ima- I have to imagine that having a whole second screen to deal with it in this really game helps. It super helps because I, I I felt so much like the UI was like squished when I was playing that game on yeah. Game Boy. It's like it, another situation where it's like amazing that this game works at all, considering how much they're trying to do all yeah. in this little tiny screen. Right. Um, I ha- I have to imagine it's great on the DS. So the top screen shows you in a in a battle it'll show you the turn order on the top screen. And there's like mm-hmm. a really almost like Persona 4 UI like a really bright yellow screen with like you see the characters like in a little circle and like a line showing like when their turn is happening. Um, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Wait, quick, quick, quick yes, sidebar. Yes, yes. I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but Rune Factory 5, when you first turn it on, opens with the most like Persona 4, Persona 5 like anime intro that's like super jazzy, like extremely stylized animation. It is so beautiful, so hype. And then you start the game and it's like the most low key, like <laughs> pick up this rock and put it in the supply box. <laughs> there, there are some games that clearly like blow their budget on the intro. Yeah. So I love it. So to be clear, it's incredible, but it just real yeah. dissonant. Yeah. Sorry. So the, the second screen really helps because you, you have, you know, you're able to split that information. And I think seeing the turn order and also like in Tactics Advance, every battle, there will be a judge that shows up and they'll say like, in this battle, you can't use fire magic or in this battle, you can't use uh, ranged weapons. Why um, is there is there like is there like a reason for this? And then yeah. is there like an endemic reason why there's a judge overseeing every piece of combat? They're like the wardens of adventurers. So they're like there to make sure you're like following the rules. But the rule <laughs> is different every battle. It's it's more of a challenge than it is a restriction. OK, it's essentially, in addition. And this is the way a two interprets it. I, I think in. Tedx Advance, you like just occasionally get like you can't use this. Yeah. But it's usually more specifically like you can't use shell or you can't use like this attack. Yeah. I mean, I could understand like you show up on a battlefield and it's covered in water. It's like, yeah, the fire is really not going to help you a whole lot here. But to have like a judge show up and be like, you can't use fire here. Yeah. It's very but different. He- here's the trade off. So okay. it in addition to the rule, you also can choose like a buff for your entire team. So that's like, we're faster. So our critical hits are more likely and uh, avoiding attacks is more likely, or Mm -hmm. we do more damage, take less damage. So you can choose a buff. And as long as you're following the judge's rule, you'll have that buff. If you break the rule, all that happens is that you lose the buff. Interesting. And you also can't revive fallen party members. So once the judge leaves, you can't use a Phoenix down or raise. So there's a little bit of a risk reward there. If it's like a case where like, you know, I had a battle where they said you couldn't use fire. So I'm like, okay, I can still use my mage. They know frost and lightning. Like it doesn't seem like fire is like especially helpful here. Right. Easy, easy gain. I can get the buff. And also if you win and don't break the rule, you get an item that helps you. That's oh. usually related to the rules. So like nice. in the no ranged uh, battle, I got a really nice bow as a reward for following the rule. So like mm. I like that you could break even the, even said was like if you break it, it's not a big deal. They'll just like go away and you know, <laughs> we can't revive our fallen comrades. But it's fine. Yeah. Um, so I really <laughs> like that. And I like being able to see that on the top screen. You know, I, I never forget. like OK, here's the current buff. Here's the current rule. Here's the turn order. Beautiful. I love that on the top screen. And then on the bottom screen, you get like equally beautiful environments and it is feel at least at this point in the game early on the, the battles are way faster they're still you know they still have to like choose where they're going on this isometric grid 
There's a lot of verticality, which I like, and you choose which way they're facing at the end of the turn. So, like, it takes a while if there are a lot of enemies, but the pacing is a little better than in uh, Tactics Advance. And also, the big thing is the UI is way better. It's mm. so nice. When you go to the unit management screen, if they've if they've mastered a skill, they'll be dancing. So they'll be like, yeah, like they'll be doing like the victory pose. Yeah. Uh, so you'll see visually like, OK, I don't have to go through each of their menus and see like, did you learn this? Because it has a similar system to, I think, Final Fantasy 12 and also FF9 where like the equipment they're using will have a skill that they can use if they're using that equipment. But you can also like eventually as they level up, they're gaining experience for that item. And once they've mastered it, they just know that skill. So like. Once you've met, you know, I have a black mage who has a rod that gives them fire, thunder, blizzard. Once they like learn that, I can give them a different rod and they'll still know those spells. Yeah, that's kind of classic. I, 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 what other game? I mean, that feels pretty common. Yeah, it, I mean, it's 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 in a lot of stuff. I think it's an octopath. Yeah. It's in FF12. It's a very Ivalice thing. Yes. <laughs> and pretty quickly, you can change the jobs of your recruits. So like, it starts off like you have your main character. In my case, Stephen. Although his last name is always Clements, which I think is funny. So it's like I'm Stephen Clements. I can't wait for summer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have, um, like Sid, Sid helps you out in the beginning and you can't control him, but then he leaves eventually. And then you have like a warrior healer or whatever, but you can change that pretty quickly, which I like. So if you want to deviate from like the classic structure, you can make your white mage into a fencer or something and be like, Mm. Oh, I'll try that. And the map is really easy to read too. So it has a similar structure where there's like a, a pub you can hang out in where you accept jobs and then those jobs will appear on the world map and you go there to do that mission there's like a very clear loop um what i like about this one is that it, it just gets right to it like there's really at least at this point in the game there's really no story to mention it just seems like they just wanted to provide tactics battles and again going back to just existing in the world like you're just literally there the only plot i can tell is that the kid like kind of wants to go back home eventually but like <laughs> he's in no rush like he's actually yeah. just pumped to be in ivalice yeah well uh, what, what season is it in ivalice is it summer I guess it, it might be summer. It seems to be a spring or summer scenario. So I'm just far. saying he's pumped for summer. He falls into a book and now it's summer. Like why, why leave? Exactly. And it has the same like great character design and music from advance. So I feel like I get why the, the reviews were lukewarm when it came out again, because it's like, you know, a very literal sequel in the way of it's just more of that thing, but a little better, you know, compared to the definitive version of Tactics 1, which is this beloved thing. But yeah, playing it now when I have tactics kind of just been put on the back burner or abandoned, potentially, mm. there aren't that many of these games. And this is a really fun one to visit because I just like the style of game. And it's the most to the point of all of them. There's like really nothing to get around. It's just giving me exactly what I wanted and what I enjoyed about advanced one so i'm like this like might be my favorite one which i feel like is maybe a bad take given what like, the, the general consensus but i'm just having a great time honestly though that's like half the reason we do these episodes right yeah. it's like it's yeah. like half the reason we we say this a lot on the show and i know it hasn't felt that way recently because 2022 is like extremely fucked up with game releases <laughs> but like we're not beholden to the release cycle is the thing that we always say because it's really fun to revisit older stuff and see how they feel like outside of the context of when they were released. And this is I, while you were talking about this, I was just like on backlogged looking at reviews of this game and just like seeing what people said about it when it first came out and things like that. And like that was kind of the vibe it was like, oh, it's just more of the same. But like also these like middling reviews are like it's 
better in every way than Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. It's like, okay, so that, yeah, that, does that mean it's the best one? How is it on Backlog out of curiosity? It's it's like a three. It's like a three out of five ish. Yeah, it's it not se- seems to be the average rating. But point being, like, I, I, I do think a lot of people's vibe of this game was like, oh, it's just more of the same, but better. And like, that's actually great. And I feel like if I was to tell somebody to pick one up, like maybe this would be the one then specifically because like it fixes a lot of the problems I had because if it still has like great combat and like that extremely good vibe, but there's two screens so they can split up the UI and I don't know, there's just like more going on and that that sounds great. I mean, that sounds like the one that you should play. They just have such a strong foundation here. I'm kind of amazed they haven't made more of these games. You know, because yeah. it feels like this this year, like 2008, they made A2, they made the PSP remaster. And that's like, I think it until Triangle Strategy. <laughs> so and Triangle Strategy sold well enough that I that I hope that that sends a message like there are a lot of people that want this type of tactics game. Yeah. And I think it's also nice to have because like the the tone again of Triangle Strategy and of FF Tactics 1 is very grim um, and the tone of Advance one and two is very light, especially this one. Like whenever you unlock a new level, there's like a recording of people going like, yay, like, it feels very kid friendly. And that's yeah. good. There should be like, I played FF7 as a eight year old that opened my mind to fantasy. And that's not really a game for kids like at all. Like, I think that's like a very like YA at the youngest kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having a Final Fantasy that's like a little bit more of a general audience tone is a great move. I think that's wonderful. I mean, we have like Chocobo Racing, but that's kind of about it, you know, for like a younger audience. This is so like for all ages, crowd pleaser territory and pumped for summer. I love it. I think it's great. I want to, yeah. this is my lost fear. I'm going to die on the hill for grimoire of the rift, uh, at least yeah. so far. We'll see if it changes as I get further in, but I think it has everything I want from this type of game. That's really cool. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. I, uh, well, first of all, thank you for invoking lost fear again. So I didn't have to. <laughs> Very nice. Of course. I feel like you will gain more respect for having this extremely hot take about final fantasy <laughs> tactics than I ever will for thinking lost fear is a good game, but, um, that having yeah. been said, I know I'm excited to check this one out. Uh, while while you were talking, I busted out the charging cable for my DS so I could play it later. Uh, so get ready for summer. It's here. Yeah, I'm excited to fall into a book. Just depends on which book, you know. I want to get like a inspirational post, like dive in to the library, like you know, and have like. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so that's that's Grimoire of the Rift. I wonder if the Grimoire is the book I jumped into because it's also oh. a mysterious journal that is keeping track of my adventure mm. um so steven clements is like dude i didn't write in this i don't I, he, <laughs> sid asks him he's like have you been keeping a journal like you have a journal on you and he goes do i look like i keep a journal it's very like <laughs> 90s like capri sun skateboard energy yeah that's uh, silly so yeah it's very ska um but uh <laughs> i'm having the best time with it wow final fantasy tactics a2 grimoire, grimoire of the rift, of the rift. TM. The best subtitle since Echoes of an Elusive Age. That's what they say. That's what yeah. they, they've been saying. I, I've been hearing that from a lot of people. Yeah. Wow. Is it time to wrap up? I think so. Yeah. This, this is a, long is a one, lot of actually. fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a long one. We covered a lot of stuff. It is. I feel free. Again, we're recording our Elden Ring bonus, I think today. <laughs> and that will come out. Uh, I guess that might actually already be out given when this episode will come out because yeah. the month is almost over. Either way, it will be around the same time. But uh, all that to say, like as much as I love Elden Ring, it's really nice to talk about other stuff and to think about other stuff. I, I will. Yeah. When we're done recording the Elden Ring bonus, I will feel like the weight has been lifted. In a way. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Not that I'm not going to keep playing through New Game Plus for the rest of the year, but... Uh, I mean, that's a game I'll nice. never really stop thinking about in the same way that, like, Three Houses always comes up and Hades is always with me. Like, yeah. the games that are on that... Like, not to rank it, but, like, masterpieces like that, when they come out, they stay with you and they inspire yeah. you forever. Hey, so they're masterworks all, Steven. You can't go wrong, you know? <laughs> yes, Arisen. We got to do... I, man... Anyway, I had I just had a bunch of ideas after you said that. I don't want to keep them. To yeah, myself. I know. I know. What idea. I've also been thinking about playing Dragon's Dogma a lot recently, <laughs> like a lot. And to be clear, we talk about this at the end of every episode. Like, oh, what's on the horizon? Um, what's wonderful is for the next week, there are no big video game releases. It's not until the week after that Chrono Cross comes out, which like arguable big video game release. I'm excited to play it. Yeah, you're excited yeah. to revisit it. But like, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Chrono Cross will not make uh, the entire episode. You know, that won't be a whole episode, which means there's a slot for Dragon Song to fit in. Potentially. Yeah. The Dark Arisen. The Dark I think Arisen. we we made pretty immediate comparisons with Elden Ring when we first played it. Like, this kind of feels a little and that's something I've seen a lot. Like It's not really a hot take to compare the two because they both have yeah. that like uh, cruel worlds left open vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in. <laughs> Rather than Elden Ring allowing players to leave notes in Dragon's Dogma, you have four NPCs that yell notes at you as you play. <laughs> Honestly, the, the reason I want to go revisit Dragon's Dogma specifically is like, when did that game come out? 2013? 2012. 2012? Yeah. Shock. It's amazing that that is the closest analog to Elden Ring. You know, like it's, it's actually it's amazing that the closest analog to Elden Ring came out in 2012. And like it, you could go and play that game right now and have a good time. And we've talked yeah. about it on the show before, but like it's not super easy to recommend to people. But there is a lot of Elden Ring DNA coming from Dragon Sogma, which is like amazing that that game is what, nine years old. Yeah, I think a lot about that year. And I think we might talk about this on the Elden Ring bonus. So I won't say too much, but 2011 to 2013, that was Skyrim, Dark Souls and Dragon's Dogma back to back, which <laughs> right. I feel like all represent a very different, like splintering path in the fantasy RPG genre. Yeah, which I think it's very fascinating. It's cool. Video games. Dude, love them. Dude, I love them. Let's Dude, wrap you, up. USB-C. Uh, download, no, upload. No, 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 no. Once <laughs> your bit of just naming hardware, I gotta stop. I don't know what it is. It feels evil. It feels like a Bloody Mary of tech. Plug and play. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Software uh, like the as show, a service, Stephen. The best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. <laughs> Subscription offerings. Yeah. Okay. Don't lower your guard. Enter the cast that <laughs> online. Is our hub for all our links. Ah, strike first. Like, gotcha. <laughs> like grabbing a snake. <laughs> You're not going to bite me this time. <laughs> Review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever you like. Actually, speaking of subscription offerings <laughs> yeah. and software as a service, by the time this episode comes out, I, I don't, I, Bloomberg just reported uh, over the weekend that Sony's going to have another event, or maybe not an event, but they're going to announce their new version of PlayStation Plus this week that oh, includes, wow. like, that's like their kind of Game Pass-y thing that has all the backwards compatibility stuff. I'm and very curious about that. that. That's got my attention. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to uh, waylay this bit with real actual information, but... Uh, no, no. I mean, this is a trap. I know a trap when I see one. I'm not lowering my guard. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving me information that's interesting to me. I know what follows. I am, I am very excited about that, so we can talk about Gex. <laughs> there it is. That's why I didn't drop my guard. A special thanks to our patrons. The patron episode I've been hyping up for months 
should be on its way to you soon. Uh, and like we said uh, a couple weeks ago, by the end of March, we will have like a pretty big announcement on the Patreon. We're changing some things around with it. So keep an eye on that space. That's looking like it's going to be maybe first or second week of April at this point, just given. Yeah, uh, there's been some delays, but uh, yeah, we're, we're yeah I think stuff. that's a safe bet. But it will be it will be in the near future. And I think that's it. Uh, Elder Ring uh, is also on its way out. And uh, like we said last week, our bonus for next month is going to be Undertale, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I haven't played that in a very long time. Mm. And I'm very excited to hear your take on it, playing through it for the first time, which is exciting. You've, you've played it before, but not all the way through. Yeah, never finished it. So a lot of cool stuff. And I, I think like April will be a fun month because, again, it's like a little bit slower. Is there any big release in April overall? Uh, like, thankfully, it's going to be pretty chill, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, like just looking at the calendar right now, it's looking like, I don't know, Chrono Cross, that Lego Star Wars game, if like may end up being a big deal. I'm not really sure that comes out. We Sports comes out in April, right? We Sports is, yeah, it's this, uh, the 29th, second to last day of April. So like we have like most of the month. The other stuff is 13 Sentinels coming to Switch and mm. uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed coming to Switch. So like it's really just like, oh, stuff's coming to Switch. Chrono Cross, 13 Sentinels and Star Wars. I'm excited and, about and that. And then though. Switch fun. Sports. Yeah. Um, yeah, Switch not, Sports I'm, I'm pumped for. I cannot yeah. wait for that. Yeah. Game of the year. So on, uh, it's, it's going to be very nice to have a more chill month, I think. I think so, too. It also gives us more time for DS stuff, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, again, don't back the Patreon if it puts you in any financial strain. But if you have to pull your support uh, and then if you want to resubscribe, you'll regain access to the entire backlog. And just a huge thanks to everyone who's able to do that. It really means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's basically it. Anything to add? No, I think that's it. Just thanks again uh, yeah, thank to, you. to everybody who's listening to the show. Um, I mean, we mentioned this last month and we don't really talk about this a whole lot too frequently, but like March is already our biggest month ever. Uh, yeah. Last month was our biggest month ever. And then January was our biggest month ever. So the show's growing. Thank you so much, everybody who's been sharing it with people. I mean, we're seeing that in the tweets. I would even say like, honestly, I would even say just based on the fact that we did a call for questions for the Elden Ring bonus and just got like tons of extremely good, yeah. considered interesting questions that I think will probably end up being the bulk of the episode because they were like, great. So just yeah. thank you so much for listening and like being thoughtful and being nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm really happy and I, I consider myself lucky that we are able to like, you know, make a call like that and know that we're going to get a good response. Like to have that confidence and be yeah. like, you know, it's not going to be like, it's not just you know, bit city down there in the replies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is welcome in its own way. But you know, it's, it's uh, like, I'm very grateful for everyone in the discord and like that, that growing community. And um, yeah, you know, I, I think that the thing that you and I have always been, you know, it's, it's <laughs> great to see the show grow, but I think that it's really wonderful to see people stick around and people like really want to, uh, I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but I just, I'm very grateful that, the people who have reached out and the people who are in the discord or, or who just listen and you know, you don't have to, you don't owe us anything. You don't need to tell us that you like the show truly, but I'm always very touched that like, it seems to the people who have reached out, the show seems to be a, a source of positivity for them. So yeah, not, that's not to amazing. go down this rabbit hole that we go down like every couple episodes, but like <laughs> the, sh the show exists as a kind of rebuke in a way of the way video games are frequently talked about on the internet. There's like just so much, 
hate and vile shit and people using like gotcha fact checks as their form of adding to a conversation, even though it really just puts <laughs> down other people like all that shit is so frustrating and annoying. And the whole idea for Into the Aether was always to be like the antithesis of that kind of conversation. Um, and it's nice to know that there are other people out there who also want something like that. So if you're also pumped for the Gex episode, please like, comment, and subscribe. Like, comment, uh, subscribe, smash that fucking subscribe button <laughs> out there. No, that was very well said. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 always difficult for me to put into words how much uh, it means to me that people, A, listen at all. Again, truly, the fact that anyone listens at all, I, I often tune out the audience we have because it's like surreal to accept. So I just, I like taking a moment to really be grateful yeah. for everyone listening. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank it's you. It's amazing. Uh, cool. All right. Let's, let's wrap up. This has actually I'm been a done. long one, which is shocking. And then we, I uh, need to eat lunch. Mentioned. We have to record the Elden Ring one after this. Yeah. And I, we need to eat lunch first. I gotta, I gotta eat something. I probably, I'm going to take a little nap. I think I'm going to take a nap. My I'm name is Brandon Bigley. Summer. Whoops! You can find <laughs> oh, me fuck, on I'm in now. the internet at Brendan Bigley. If you go to the library, you might find one open book on the floor. I know you're pumped for summer vacation. Just give it a look and then be like, wait a minute. Why does this book, why is this book describing what's currently happening? Oh, I'm an Ivalice. I better join a clan quick because otherwise that Chocobo. The, Sid keeps telling you like if you get near birds, they're going to peck your eye out. Like, that's like half the dialogue so far. It's going to be like, don't get close to that bird. <laughs> anyway, I'm Sid Hill. That sounds like Bye-bye. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Like, there's gonna it's be gonna a happen time to skip. Sit. That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Boy who cried chocobo. <laughs> That's the title. Yeah. Goodbye. I like that early on in the show we had like a how quickly into the episode can we come up with the title, and now it's how close to the end can we do it? And actually, by yeah. doing this sentence, I think I fucked this up. So, see ya. See ya. Unless the episode title is see ya. Bye. Garbage. Draw online.